You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. My name is Jake Osborne. I'm the student ministries director here. Uh, we're going to be in James 1 this morning, if you want to turn there. James 1, 2-4. Uh, as we've been going, uh, as we, we've been going through the Psalms this last school year uh, with the high school students, I've had the opportunity to 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 see a few Psalms in a way that I haven't seen them before, to study them more closely. And one Psalm that I thought would be fitting for us to start out this morning looking at, just real quickly, is Psalm 33. So actually, I want you to stay in James 1. I'll read Psalm 33. 1 through 3 for us, it says this. Shout to the Lord for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make a melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. That song... Uh, they would sing it once a year. Some people believe it was at the autumnal festival. Some people believe it was at the New Year festival. But one way or another, they would sing it once a year. And the psalm goes on to talk about how they, how they would praise God for His faithfulness in creating the world. They'd praise God for His faithfulness in redeeming the people out of Egypt. And then they would go on and they would sing, uh, like it says in verse 3, they'd sing a new song. They were called each year to look back on the faithfulness of God and to sing a new song and to shout for joy for the faithfulness that God had every year. I just thought that was really cool that they had this song they would sing and they would add to it each year. It got me thinking, if that was us, we sang the same song every new year. Marcos, I don't know, maybe you can get on writing that. Um, what would we add? What would we add? What would you add to the song? As you look back at this last year, what would you add to the song? What would be your new song to sing about God's faithfulness? For some of us, that's probably harder to, to think about than others. Some of you have had an enormous blessing this year and have really seen God work. And some of you have gone through some of the, the toughest suffering that you've ever been through in 2018. And when you're going through that suffering, how do you look back at the year and add a new song and sing a, a new song of joy. How do you count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds? I want you to think about that as we go through this this morning. What would your new song be? Uh, join me in James 1, 2 through 4. It says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's word. I think it's important for us to recognize before we talk about joy and suffering... Just exactly what is the nature of suffering and what is the nature of suffering as it's talking about in this passage. Uh, the first words of the passage are, count it all joy. Now, that is not a call for you as believers when you face tough things 
to just be plastic and robotic and just be like, oh yeah, this is a really tough time, but it's all good. Just have a smile on your face um, just to just to put on this this act that there's nothing wrong, even though you're facing trials. The, the call to count it all joy is actually the opposite of that. You can see clearly that, that when we face trials of various kinds, it's the opposite reaction. Nobody suffering, and that seems obvious to say, but I think it's important that we say it, that the opposite reaction to, our, the opposite of our normal reaction to suffering is joy. We don't, that's not what we normally would do. You normally feel pain, sadness. Hopelessness. But the call to count on all joys is to say that this is, this is something that doesn't normally happen. And this is trials of various kinds he's talking about. He's not just talking about, you know, people who are going through the worst trials they've ever faced. If you, if you think back to your trials this year, you might be thinking, yeah, I went through some hard times, but that's, I guess that's not really a trial. I don't know. It says trials of various kinds. James leaves this open. Open-ended. He says various kinds for a reason so that you and I, no matter what you're going through, can relate and say, no matter what the suffering is, I'm supposed to count it all joy. And he does that too because every suffering is related to your faith. You see that in verse 2 it says, or verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So testing of your faith and trials of various kinds are basically used synonymously, the same as each other. If you, he uses them interchangeably. That's because suffering is always related to faith. It just is. You, No matter what you're going through, whether you think that it's it's just a little thing or that this it would just be solved if something else happened. This isn't really related to your walk with the Lord. No matter what your suffering is, it is always related to the testing of your faith. So no matter what trial you're going through, we're called to count it all joy because it's related to your faith. This is, this is a, a testing ground for your faith in God. And it's, it, it finishes that, that chunk. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the way we find joy in suffering is by steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it's reached its full effect, means that you're, you feel like you are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And what it means by that is you have what you need. You, the, the, you're, you're sufficient. There, or there's, you have sufficient joy in that time. You have sufficient need met to have joy. I hope that makes sense. And so we can see that in suffering, you and I suffer and we feel pain in suffering and we, we, can't, we, we have a hard time feeling joy in suffering because we have need. Think about, think about for example, when you suffer with your health. If you're suffering with your health, you, you may be have a need that you're, you know, that to have an ailment that's bothering you be gone. Or that to be able to do things that a healthy person would. Or to not feel pain. Whatever it may be, you have that need, but that, that need that's not being met 
is what's causing this pain you're suffering that's taking your joy. What, what, whatever that may be, whatever that, that need that's been taken away, and that's not this, a superficial thing. It's not just like, oh, I don't have this thing I really want, so oh, I'm, I'm suffering right now. No, it's, I'm talking about the needs, like actual needs, things that humans really need, like relational rightness. If you are having conflict with your spouse, you feel a need for there to be rightness, and because that isn't there, you are suffering and feeling pain. When you lose someone that you love and they're no longer there, you're feeling, you're feeling an absence of something there. So now you are feeling pain because of that absence there. And that's real. That's real suffering. And you and I know what it's like to suffer. I mean, take a second and just look around this room. And look around at the people who are sitting next to you, who you have suffered with, or who have suffered with you this last year. You know, we know what it's like to have suffering trials of health, trials in our marriages, wayward children, the loss of unborn children, financial stress, whatever it may be, you and I know suffering has been present in our lives and we have suffered together and we have faced some of the hardest things we've ever faced together. Suffering is present here. So there, the relevance of counting it joy and suffering meets each and every one of our lives. So how on earth do you count it all joy when joy is something that is completely opposite of the pain we normally feel in suffering. How did these two polar opposites come together? Let's talk about joy for a second. What is joy? We've been talking about that. Hopefully you've got a good idea somewhat of what joy is because we've been talking about it for the last month. But I want to redefine, not redefine, but define again what joy is so that we can all be on the same page. Because I think it's so... Hey, there's, there's very few things in the Christian life that are more important than joy. And so we need to have a good idea of what that joy is. John Piper, if you read any John Piper, he is like an expert on joy. Uh, that's about his favorite topic. says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. I want us to focus on specifically when he says it's a feeling. And he goes on in that article that he writes about joy. He says a feeling is not something that you can control. A feeling is something that wells up within you. I'll use a trivial example. Uh, I know there's one Patriots fan in this entire room. Uh, And every year, us Indiana folks watch again as the Patriots get to the Super Bowl and win, and it would be ridiculous for those of us who are not Patriots fans to be celebratory at that moment and be like, yes, oh my gosh, like, I'm so happy, like, we may be able to, to conjure up a little bit of happiness in that moment, but for most of us, it's not, it just, we're not going to have joy in that moment if they win, because that's not what, we're, we're not Patriots fans, but for Chris, 
if he, I mean, for this unnamed Patriots fan, <laughs> when he sees that, he freaks out, man. It's like better than his birthday, man. He's, it's, it's happier than Christmas. He'll wear that stinking Patriots sweatshirt for like months afterwards. It's because it's natural. That's the object of, that's one of the objects of his joy. And I'm, I'm not saying this to roast Chris because I'm about to talk about the, how we should have Christ as the object of our joy. That's his object as well. But uh, what I'm saying is that joy is a feeling. You know, you can't just wait till suffering comes along and your joy is in all these other things and then, bam, suffering's there. Oh, I'm just going to turn on joy in Christ. That's just, it doesn't happen like that. See, we can't control necessarily the feelings that well up of, in us as joy but we can control the object of our joy. And if the object of your joy is Christ, something that cannot be changed and cannot be taken away, then no matter when suffering comes or not, you've got an unchangeable joy. So this feeling, yeah, these feelings you can't necessarily control. Your feelings just, they happen naturally. But what you can control is where you place your joy. So it's very important for us even those of us who are not feeling suffering right now, to be counting it joy to be looking at Christ. Because that is the only thing that is untouchable and unchangeable. Uh, Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Again, this Christian joy, you know, everybody, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, these are the fruits of the Spirit. That means that this Christian joy that we express is not something that, again, is naturally conjured up in us, but is a miraculous power of God, something that's gifted to us by God to show that the work of God is happening in us. It is a fruit of the Spirit. When you have the Spirit, though, you will have joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit, a natural implication. If you're being fed by the nourishment of Christ through the Spirit, you're going to have joy. Joy is so important. I mean, the biblical examples of joy... Remember, Luke 2. Pastor Larry talked about this two weeks ago. That when the angels introduced Jesus, said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy. That's how Jesus is introduced. Great joy. And then Mark talked about last week, as Jesus is going out of the world... He endured the cross for what? For the joy set before him. The theme of Jesus' life is bringing us great joy. He couldn't have emphasized that any more clearly. And it's not this joy that's superficial. Again, this is a joy that is built on focusing on him. The New Testament writers often use this phrase that says, complete my joy. And it's always used in reference to people looking more like Jesus. So again, going back to that definition of when we see, we we have joy when we see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. As we see Christ working, as we see who he is and what he does and what he has done and will do. We receive joy from those things. That is the true joy. Those are the things that are stirring up joy in us. The Westminster Catechism, which is maybe the most famous catechism in all of Christianity, says this. The chief end of man 
is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Meaning that the greatest thing that you can do with your life on this planet is to bring glory to God and have joy in Christ. It could not be more important for you and I to have joy. And we know joy. As we come here, there are many things we do specifically to express joy. Why do we sing? You know, we come here to express joy. As we open up the word and we see who Christ is and what he has done and get to know him more, that should stir up feelings of joy in us. As we watch people get baptized and proclaim the transformation of Christ in their lives, make a a public proclamation of it, I know you and I just as well are feeling welled up with joy saying, yes, that is a proclamation that fills me with joy. I am stoked. I know you and I, as we've watched that video of Rod and Chan, though we suffer and we feel their pain, we are filled with joy because of the miraculous power of God for them to be able to bring Him glory in that. We know what it's like to feel joy. And it could not be more important for us to be characterized as a people of joy. We need to have joy in this building, in this people. So how do we have this profound divine joy in light of the hardest things that life has to offer? Steadfastness is what this passage says connects the two. So what is steadfastness? Another word for steadfastness can be endurance. Again, Going back to the passage that Pastor Mark uh, preached last week, says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. That word endurance is the same as this word steadfastness. Uh, It's almost exclusively used in the context of getting through suffering, enduring through suffering. Steadfast, this word is almost always used in the scriptures specifically in light of suffering. So, a great example I, I think of when I think about steadfastness, and this is, this is funny, um, I, I, at least I thought it was. Uh, when, have you ever been loading up a trailer with another man, and you've got like some supplies on there that you need to tighten down, so you throw a ratchet strap over the stuff, yank on it, get it tight, you test it, ding. It's impossible for a man, once he has fastened something down, to not say, yeah, that's not going anywhere. It just happens. It's a scientific fact that you have to say that after you've tightened something down like that. You'll shake it in the trailer, will rattle back and forth. You're like, yeah, man, that is, that's really on there. That's, that's a good picture of steadfastness. It's not going anywhere. It's going to stay put. The Bible uses a picture of an anchor. That there's this ship that's on top of the waves being tossed back and forth. But you know it's not going anywhere because it's got this huge solid anchor that's down at the bottom. That's making it so it can't move. It talks about Christ being that anchor for us. So steadfastness is this, yeah, this immovable nature. 
So how can we have steadfast joy? Remember, we're talking about not just steadfastness, but steadfastness specifically in reference to our joy. How can we have a joy that is unmovable, unshakable, enduring, not going to go anywhere? A few ways that you and I can have joy steadfastly. Uh, First of all, I want to talk about faith. We can have, our faith allows us to have steadfast joy. It says this in verses 5 through 8 of James 1. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The importance of faith keeping us anchored, believing that what God says is true will be true. And God, that is so important to God. That is something we've been learning a lot about um, That in, in our middle school youth group is that that God really wants you to know that when he promises something, it is true. So we can have faith that when God makes promises, they're going to be true, that he's going to be true to the person he says he is, and that we can depend on that. We can have that faith. Um, another way that we can have steadfast joy is through find, finding sufficiency in God. If you look at verse 9 through 11, it says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I mean, even looking at verse 4, it says that the, the, the effect of steadfastness is that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's, that's finding sufficiency in God, knowing that all these other things that you have, whether if they're good or not, they're good, they're not going to be they're not going to be unshakable like that that object of our faith that of that steadfastness. Those things are not unshakable. I mean, and I don't say these things to brag about my my life. I, I want to make that clear. I say these things to relate with those of you who feel like you have much and that you aren't suffering. It's that when I look at my life, I, I've married the woman that I love. I have a beautiful baby girl. I have more friends than I could imagine. Um, I have, I, I work at the place that I love, in a church with the people I love, in a town that I love. Uh, and this Christmas Eve, as, I, as, as we went to go celebrate with my parents, they gifted us a brand new car. I, we were, we were, our minds were blown when we saw that. And I'm laying in bed just thinking about all of the things that God has given me. And why, why did he choose to give all of these good things to me? And I, I was reminded of this passage because those things are not unshakable. And so for those of you who feel like you have plenty, you need to be on watch almost more than those of you who are suffering. Because your, your heart's natural inclination is not to look for sufficiency when you already feel sufficient in and of yourself. You need to be looking and counting the joy when you see those blessings and driving them intentionally back to the giver of good things. And if you don't, you're going to get, when those things leave, and they will leave, they will all leave at some point. Everything will perish. That's what it says. When those things leave, you will be left joyless. 
we have to be specifically, intentionally directing our joy towards the true object of unshakable joy. Hope. Hope is another way that we can have steadfast joy. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Think about this. When you reach heaven, this is, the, this is the picture of the hope that we have when we reach heaven. As a loving father who will wipe away every tear from your eyes. The elimination of the pain of suffering. That is one of the greatest gifts. That is our introduction into heaven. Is the wiping away of the pain of suffering of this past life. And knowing that we know nothing but joy for this eternity to come. That is, that's heaven. That's how heaven is introduced to us. And this hope that we, that cannot be taken away from us should be one way we can have this steadfast, immovable joy. And I think if you put all of these things together, this sufficiency in God, this faith, this hope that we have, it really boils down to having dependency on God. I think it's so important for those of us, whether we're suffering or we're not suffering, to intentionally be expressing dependence on God. I don't think there's any greater expression of dependency on God than prayer. So you can, I, I think you can test where you're at as far as your dependency on God by looking at your prayer life. Do you feel like you really need Him? Or do you feel like that all good things are coming from Him, so you're offering Him thanks, and you're, 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 you're leaning on Him throughout your day? Because that, I think that's a great test of where your heart's at as far as where you view your dependency and your need for God. And when we have this steadfastness and this immovable object of joy, this miraculous picture that we even witnessed this morning happens, that when life throws at us the toughest things you can imagine, you can still come to this place and know that Christ, your hope, the object of your joy, is still as good as he was the day before. And he will be that good tomorrow, and he will continue to be that good for eternity. And nothing can take that joy from you. And when the people of the world look into this place and they see us worshiping together, they should say, surely God is among these people. Because they have a joy that cannot be touched. So, to conclude, I just want to ask you again, what would your song be? And how would you sing it? your focus on the true object of joy and can you sing together as we face the hardest things in life to magnify the glory of God.